0: I have a question for you this morning. Is there anything in your life that you just despise? Anything in your life? About uh, six months ago, up until about six months ago, I despised cottage cheese. I just completely despised it. Now, a person doesn't come to despise cottage cheese, and I'll add in fruit cocktail there, Um, without some sort of a crisis, tragic encounter with cottage cheese, right? You don't get there unless that happens. And my crisis with cottage cheese happened in the summer of 1988 on the side of the road in Montana on a hot summer day. That's when my crisis happened. Here's the story. My family, my parents, my brothers and I, we lived in Chicago, and so we were moving from Chicago to Kelowna. And for some reason, uh, prior to that, my parents went on a diet, and they, I believe, found a very incredible bulk deal on cottage cheese and fruit cocktail. And so they were eating that, and as we packed up the house and everything to move from Chicago to Kelowna, we had a whole bunch of cottage cheese and fruit cocktail left over. And I think they thought in their minds, well, if this food is good for us to eat, it should be also good for our children to eat. And so we packed up all of that, and started traveling to Kelowna. Um, now, I don't remember if we had a cooler for the cottage cheese and fruit cocktail. I can't remember. But so we're driving along, and I think we pulled over the side of the road in Montana. Everybody got out of the car, and we had something to eat. And so my parents then pull out the cottage cheese and fruit cocktail, mix it up in a bowl. And you know what? This, this substance was not cold. It wasn't cool. It was warm. And through some very strong encouragement from my parents, because you see, as kids standing on the side of the road in Montana, there was, there was no options with anything else to eat. <laughs> and so through some, through some strong encouragement from my parents, through some tears, through some dry heaving, and swallowing food whole, we got it down. <clears throat> and you know what? My brothers and I, we have literally been scarred for 30 years. We have. Until about six months ago. I think I can barely tolerate cottage cheese now. So, but enough about cottage cheese. Because here's the thing. You see, it's not so much the things that we dislike or despise that really get us into trouble at times. Instead, it's the things that we want. It's the desires that we have. It's the cravings that we have. It's the appetites that we have that come up from inside of us that... When they're not understood rightly, when they're not controlled, when they're not kept in check, it's these desires and cravings that can bring us to a place of weakness and vulnerability and make us susceptible for Satan than to come and tempt us and lead us into temptation and lead us into sin. See, what do we do with our desires, the cravings that we have, the needs that we have inside of us? As you know, we're working our way through Matthew And we're in this five-week series here called Tempted. Open up your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 4. We see here in verse 1 that that Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. Jesus fasts from food for 40 days. And after 40 days of not eating, the Bible states the obvious. says just so clearly, Jesus is hungry. And I'm glad the Bible states the obvious here because it keeps us from thinking that maybe Jesus was hungry. Uh, more than human. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was human just as we are operating as a human being, thinking and feeling as a human, having human desires and human cravings, and yet he never sinned. His appetite for food at this moment after fasting for 40 days was overwhelming, and it's in the middle of his desire that Satan tempts Jesus to use his divine power to provide for his own needs. See, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. See, the wilderness here isn't just some random detour, uh, a place that Jesus found himself by happenstance. No. Wilderness is, is a battleground. It's where this fight takes place. This temptation of Jesus is incredibly personal at this point. There's actually an enemy doing the tempting. Matthew makes it very clear that Satan is a reality, not a myth. Satan shows up, speaks to Jesus, stands in front of Jesus, negotiates with him carefully and strategically, tries to lie to Jesus, manipulate Jesus to believe a lie about God, And to try and convince Jesus to act outside of God's agenda, God's will, God's plan for his life. See, when I look at our culture today, I think in general our culture is skeptical of the supernatural. See, people in, in general may not know what really to do or believe about supernatural beings, angels, demons, God, Satan. I think some people might say Satan is just a figment of our imagination, maybe just superstition. Perhaps Satan is just a personification of evil. Satan's not real, just a personification of evil. Or perhaps some people might say that Satan is just a symbol of humanity's capacity for evil. But Timothy Keller just argues that if you believe in God, a good personal supernatural being, then it is absolutely perfectly reasonable to believe that there is a evil personal supernatural being. And The Bible teaches this. That in this world, there are very real forces of evil. These forces are tremendously complex and intelligent. And Satan is the chief of these forces. And he is tempting us away. This is his mission, to tempt us away from knowing and loving and living in communion with God. This is Satan's agenda. And we see this right from the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden all the way Satan has been tempting individuals and families and the whole nation of Israel to step out of relationship with God and disobey God. And here in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted by Satan in the desert, in the wilderness. And you know what? The same is true for you and I. The same is true. We have been tempted, and we will, we will be tempted. We will. This is the fight that we find ourselves in. This is the fight that we have. The fight is inside of us. The Bible teaches that there are evil, sinful desires that that well up inside of us, that we're tempted by the inside of us, and there's also we're tempted by the outside of us by Satan just speaking lies into our mind and our hearts. But here's the thing Here's, here's the good news. We don't enter this fight from a place of defeat. We enter this fight from a place of victory. Because we know who wins this fight between God and Satan. And we know that even right now, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have already been victorious over sin and death because of what Jesus Christ has done. We approach this fight from a place of victory already. But this is the fight that we find ourselves in. That we will be tempted So my prayer, my hope, my hope for us today, for you today, is that you walk out of here in a few moments committed to not giving in. That you walk out of here already decided and committed to not give in. That with God's help, when temptation does come your way and you find yourself in this place that you were tempted, that you won't give in. You won't give in to satisfy your desires outside of, of God's will and plan for your life. So for you and I, for you and I to live this way, to not give in, first of all, first of all this, we have to recognize where and when and how Satan might tempt you, might tempt us. We need to recognize this. Let's look at the text, Matthew chapter four, verse one and two. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Is Jesus in a vulnerable place right now? Yes, he is. His overwhelming desire and craving was for food. And that's at this point with Jesus being in this place of heightened vulnerability because of the desires that he had for food, it's at this moment that Satan shows up. Not before, but at this precise moment where he shows up and he speaks to Jesus. You see, I want to point out here, Jesus' desire for food, his his hunger was not sinful at all. This was a legitimate desire for food after fasting for 40 days. I mean, it's just, it's a real legitimate desire. It's not wrong at all. And you see, we have desires and cravings within us that are not wrong. Desire for approval, desire for love, for intimacy, for sex, for pleasure, for food, for friendship, for meaning and purpose in life, desire for a family, desire for a spouse, desire for children, and the list could go on and on and on and on. But these desires that are within us that are good in and of themselves. Some of these desires are more evident in, in some folks than in other people because we are all designed unique. But God created us with these desires that we have as human beings. We've got good desires and we have evil desires. Instead of love, it becomes thoughts, desires that are lustful. Instead of food, it turns into gluttony. Instead of friendship, might at times become manipulation. See, we have desires in us created in us by God that are good but yet John as well warns us in John 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 John says this for the world the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure a craving for everything that we see and pride in our achievements and possessions these are not from the father these desires but are from this world and you see I think we forget this about Satan sometimes Satan has been around for a long time. He knows human beings. He knows how we operate. He's a student of mankind, humankind. He's been watching how we operate, and so he will know when we are vulnerable. He will know our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses, and he will monopolize on them to tempt us to satisfy our desires in ways that are not God's will, God's agenda, God's plan that are not for our good. So my question for you, what are the desires that you feel within you that rise up within you that make you vulnerable to be tempted? Desires that make you vulnerable to be tempted. When, when do these desires rise up in you? When are you vulnerable to, t- to temptation? Where, where is it in your life, in your routine, in your schedule that you are vulnerable to temptation? How does Satan tempt you? How in the past has he tempted you? What are the thoughts that he's just coerced you and made you think about? What are the lies that he's spoken into your life? When in the past have you given into temptation? We can learn from these times when we've given into temptation and fallen into sin. We can learn from that. We ought to learn from that. So we're better prepared for next time. Is there a pattern for how Satan tempts you? If there is a pattern, what's going on in your emotions, in your thinking, in your relationships, in your life at that time when you are most susceptible to temptation? See, one way to just reflect on our life and to begin to see how this happens to us, how we find ourselves in these places, how, when, and where Satan tempts us is just to look at some characters in Scripture. I mean, think about Adam and Eve for a moment. From reading the account In Genesis we can assume that both Adam and Eve were standing in front of this tree that Jesus had told them not to eat from Jesus had said eat from any other tree in the garden but not this one and we can assume that Adam and Eve as we read this story this account that they're standing right in front of that tree now why are they standing in front of that tree what are they doing there as they're standing looking at this tree And it's at that moment that we see that Satan approaches Adam and Eve and feeds them a lie about God. question for you, where is it that you go sometimes? That in going to that place, you are putting yourself in a very vulnerable, susceptible place for Satan to tempt you. Where is that place? And I just want to encourage you. I want to ask you. Don't go there. Why put yourself in that place? Just don't go there. If you think of Abraham and Sarah, if you know about their journey in Scripture a little bit, God had promised them an heir, a son. And it was decades, decades, and no son, no son. Abraham and Sarah then take matters into their own hands, fulfill their desires, going outside of God's will and plan for their life, and they, they make a way for them to have a child. Question for you, where is it that you have been waiting for God for a long time? A long time. And from all accounts, it appears that God is not providing for you. He is not, he's not meeting these desires in your heart. He's not meeting them just yet. Will you continue to wait and trust in him? Or will you... Make other things happen on your own accord. Using your own power, your own ability to go outside of God's will and plan for your life. See, in order for you and I not to give in to temptation, we need to recognize where and how and when we are vulnerable. Vulnerable to temptation and then pray that, and with God's help, not give in to temptation. Just very practically, here's a practical example. A friend of mine, he's going on a business trip And uh, he doesn't know anybody that will be at this gathering that he's going to. He doesn't know a soul. And you know what? He knows that Satan may tempt him. He knows that he might be in a vulnerable place going on this trip. And so, what he's doing is he's planning ahead of time, he's planning his whole schedule how he's getting from place to place. He's planning what he'll be doing at different times of the day. He's planning already what he will be doing in the evenings when he might be alone. He's even planning some responses that he might give to people who might invite him to go someplace he doesn't want to go. So he's prepared in advance of what he will say. You know what, folks? This is just wisdom. It's wisdom. It's wisdom for us to know and recognize to the best of our ability where and when and how Satan might come and tempt us. Where, when, and how we might put ourselves in a place of vulnerability or find ourselves in a vulnerable place. So that's the first thing. Recognize how and when and where Satan might tempt you. The second thing is this, that for you and I not to give in, for you and I not to give in to temptation, We need to decide ahead of time, not in the moment, not wait for the moment, but decide ahead of time to trust in God's timing and trust in God's provision to meet the desires that we have. We need to decide ahead of time to trust God's timing, trust God's providing. See verse 3 in Matthew chapter 4, after 40 days of fasting and when Jesus was hungry, that's when. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, what Satan is doing here is he is asking Jesus to provide for himself. He's asking Jesus to make a way for himself, to provide for himself. The temptation here is for self-provision, providing for himself. And the fact here that Jesus quotes scripture, Jesus quotes here from Deuteronomy chapter 3, or chapter 8 verse 3, in response to Satan. The fact that Jesus quotes scripture here is a really good reminder for us that we need to know God's truth. We need to know God's word. This is a very, very great strategy for just coming against a lie that Satan might try and help us believe or make us believe. He usually comes at us with a lie. That's what Satan does. He twists the truth, twists what God says. And so we, we need to know the truth. But Jesus knew what was going on here. He knew Satan. He knew what Satan was trying to do. Jesus knew who he was. He was secure in his identity as a child of God. And he knew what he was doing. Just, just look at this for a moment. Jesus was fasting for 40 days. He wasn't eating at all. And if you've ever fasted, you know that, that when we fast, we, we um, limit ourselves from certain things, from food or something else, in order to focus our hearts and our minds and our attention on God. That's what Jesus was doing, limiting himself from food so that his hunger pains would cause him to just realize he needs more, he needs God more than he needs food. And he was spending time in communion and prayer with his father, trusting in God as his provider, trusting that God was good, trusting that God would take care of him. He knew he would be hungry. You don't go into fasting thinking you're not going to be hungry. He knew he would be hungry. He knew he would be lonely. He knew he would be tired. He knew what he was doing here. Likely as well, the words that his father had spoken over him at his baptism. Just at the end of chapter 3, God had spoken and said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Those words, that affirmation of his identity was just resonating in his heart and mind. But here's the thing, Jesus, before he had even begun fasting, he knew that he was going to trust in God as his provider, even though he didn't have food. He decided ahead of time, In fact, he had decided 40 days in a row that he was going to trust in God. Even though he was hungry. Even though he didn't have food, he was still acknowledging God as his provider. That God is good. God is faithful. God loves me. Jesus decided ahead of time. It's interesting that Satan tempts Jesus with the image of bread. He could have picked any food, perhaps, but he chose bread. Why did he choose bread? I don't know, but, but Jesus talks a lot about bread. Jesus actually was born in Bethlehem, which Bethlehem, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. We see Jesus in the New Testament feeding people with bread, multiplying loaves of bread to feed people. Jesus teaches even about bread. Jesus says this about fathers. He says, even an evil father would not give their child a snake when he asked for a fish. Or give him a stone when he asks for bread. Even an evil father will feed his children, Jesus says here. Jesus also teaches his disciples to trust in God as provider when he taught his disciples to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Adam and Eve, they failed when they thought that God as their father was holding out on them. They believed a lie about God. Ashwin reminded us last week when he just uh, taught us to, to just see how the whole nation of Israel just failed in being obedient to God as they traveled through the desert. They worshiped other gods. They turned against God multiple times, disobeyed him. A journey that should have taken a short time took 40 years. And you see, where Adam and Eve failed, where the nation of Israel failed, now, Jesus was being tempted, and Jesus is being tempted out of the desire, the legitimate desire that he had within him for food. Jesus is being tempted, and here is here's the deceiving thought that Satan is trying to get Jesus to, to think about and believe. See, Satan is just making these statements to cause Jesus, and, and really asking Jesus this question, why is your father not providing bread for you to eat? A good father provides for his children. Why is your father not providing bread for you to eat? Why is your father not feeding you, providing for you? Why is your father not caring for you? Why is your father allowing you to go hungry and not meeting your desires and fulfilling your appetite for food? Behind this question, Satan is just tempting Jesus to think, you know what, if God really loved you, and if you are really God's son, why wouldn't he be feeding you? Then in the wilderness, likely there were so many rocks around, and Jesus or Satan, he says, you know, turn all of these rocks into bread. And it's almost like, like Satan is saying, all your dad is giving you are stones. When you need bread, turn these stones into bread. See, Satan was trying to get Jesus to doubt the goodness of. The faithfulness, the character of his father. Satan was trying to get Jesus to operate outside of his identity as God's son. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see how crafty Satan is? See, every time Satan tempts you and tempts me, he'll be trying to get us to forget about God. He'll be feeding us a lie, either about God or a lie about our identity. And in order to not give in, in order to not give in, folks, we have to decide ahead of time. If we will trust in God, trust in his timing, trust in his character, trust in his goodness, trust in his provision for us, trust in his love for us, we will have to decide ahead of time. Because if we wait for that moment of temptation, we're going to be so vulnerable to believe a lie about who God is and operate outside of God's will and plan for our life. We need to decide ahead of time. We could decide today. We need to decide ahead of time and just, and just say we will trust our Father. We will wait on our Father. We will believe in what our Father says. We will depend only on our Father. We will trust in our Father. We will love our Father. We will be content in what our Father has given to us at this time and this place. And we'll trust him with the rest. Brings us to the third thing here. You see, for us to not give in to temptation, we're going to need to see that really our desires, the cravings that we have within us, are signposts. They're simply signposts. They simply point us to really the greatest desire that we do have. The greatest need that we do have. Look at Jesus' response to Satan again. Man shall not live on bread alone, but, f- by, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, I mentioned already, what Jesus does here is he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He quotes from the Old Testament here. And in this passage here in Deuteronomy, Moses is addressing the whole nation of Israel and he's just reminding them of their journey through the desert. He's reminding them of these 40 years of what God has done and what God was trying to do in them and through him. And and this is what Moses said and I'll, I'll read from verse two to four just around this verse three. This is what Moses says. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years." Moses is just reminding everybody and saying, look at what God has done. God was leading us these four decades, 40 years. He was providing for us. He was protecting us. He was feeding us. He was even clothing us. That our, Their clothes didn't even wear out. How crazy is that? Their clothes didn't even wear out. This was God's miracle that he was doing. God was, in all of this as well, testing them. Testing them, leading them into difficult circumstances to make them great. God tests us in order to do something in us. God was testing the nation of Israel so that when they arrived in the promised land, they would be a devoted nation to him. They would be a strong nation. They would know his commands. They would know how to live among other nations that were not serving God. You see, I want to just, it's so important to, to note this. God does not tempt us. James is clear about this. Satan is the one who tempts us, but God does test us. He does. And he tests you and me in order to grow our character, in order to make us stronger in our belief and our commitment to him, in order for us to know the truth. God's always doing something good in us, even in his testing. Even, even in his testing. And so the nation of Israel, God led them into the desert. They got hungry. They began to grumble. God sent manna from heaven, this miraculous flower-like substance that fell from the sky every single day except on the Sabbath day. And then the people even grumbled about the manna. And so God says, fine, I'll give you quail. I'll give you meat. And they gave him quail. They still grumbled and complained. God provided water for them. God provided for them all the way through for 40 decades. Even their clothes didn't wear out. And the nation of Israel probably thought, you know what? God's doing this just to, you know, get us through the desert. But no. No. God was providing for them and teaching them that their hunger pains, their desire for water, their physical needs that they had, all were things that pointed To the greatest need that they had. And the need was for God. To be in a relationship with God. To know God. To be in communion with God. All of their desires and cravings were just symptoms. And and were signposts pointing them to their greatest need. They needed God. They needed him. And Jesus quotes this passage right here. So poignantly. So specifically. To let Satan know that he. Jesus was not going to be like the Israelites. He was not going to question his father's provision. He was not going to grumble because he was hungry in the desert with no food. He wasn't going to do that. Because here's the thing, for 40 days Jesus already knew. Mankind, humankind, needs more than bread to live. He needs more than bread to live, to truly live. Jesus already knew that. Jesus doesn't even hint that bread is bad or hunger is bad. But Jesus says you need more than bread to live. Jesus says that the hunger that we have in here, the hunger for bread, the cravings that we have in us, should tell you that you have a greater need that needs to be satisfied in order for you to truly have life. In order for you to truly have life. See, our physical appetites And our desires that we have, the cravings that we have, they make us so myopic. They just make us so focused on the here and now, the immediacy of here and now. If you're hungry, you need food. Aroused, you want sex. If you're stressed, you need escape. If your desire for success just makes you work more and more and more to achieve results desire to be loved, a desire to be fulfilled a desire to be happy, a desire for pleasure I mean all of these desires cause us to want to make decisions right now to meet these desires, here and now and like we were reminded last weekend, stakes are so high, when we come to a place like that, stakes are so high we're so focused on the here and now we don't see after the fact, and think what are the consequences of this what's going to happen after Sort of the, the mantra today, I think, is just be, you know, be true to yourself in our culture. Be true to yourself. Follow your desires. Feed your desires. Satisfy your desires, your cravings you have, the appetites that you have within you. Just satisfy them. Jesus gives us a profound revelation here. That life is not found in satisfying the desires that you and I have. Life is not found there, Alone. Jesus says, you can't live on bread alone. Man does not live on bread alone. That word live is so critical and crucial there. Man can't live on bread alone. It's almost like Jesus is saying... You can't live on love alone. You can't live on physical intimacy alone. You can't live on man's approval alone. You can't live on achievement alone. You can't live on money alone. You can't live on friendship alone. You can't live on knowledge alone. You can't live on success alone. You can't live on any desire that you have in meeting that desire alone. You can't live on bread alone. Jesus is saying, you need more. There is a greater desire that needs to be met in order for you to live. And what is that? It's by living on the very words of God. Jesus is saying, you need more. And anytime you try and satisfy your desires without me, satisfy your desires on your own, alone, you move towards death and not to life. How do we live? How do we find life? We find life by knowing and obeying Jesus, who is the very word of God. You see, when Jesus says, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, who is the word? The word is Jesus. Jesus is the very word of God. He is God's spoken word. He is, like John says, the word made flesh that dwelt among us. Jesus is the one. What an incredible prophesying statement here that we see in Deuteronomy. that saying Jesus is the one who will come and who we have life. We can't find life just on bread alone. Jesus also says some other things about bread. He says, I am the bread of life. Do you remember when he says that? I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. He who comes to me will never grow hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is, Jesus is what we need. Jesus is who we need. In John chapter 6, Jesus says this as well. You can directly see how Jesus is living out this statement and what he does here and how he responds to Satan. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, not to live life my way, not to satisfy my desires how I want to. He says, I have come to do the will of the one who sent me. What Jesus is saying, desires that I have, I'm gonna trust God with them and I won't go outside of God's plan to satisfy the cravings that I have. What Jesus is saying is that your hunger and thirst for any other heart and soul craving you have can't be met, can only be met, fully in a relationship with Jesus. You need to believe in him. He is the one who will lead us to find our life with God. And even when we give in to temptation, we choose to disobey God. Sometimes when we do sin and we take matters into our own hands and we feel our desires our way outside of God's plan, even when that happens, he is still the one that forgives us and brings us back to life, back into life with him. He's the one who does that because he died for our sin so that we can have life with God. We want to end our time now just responding by singing a song about God's grace. Because here's the thing. See, if we want to not give in, if we want to not give in to temptation. If we want to not give in, we're we're tempted. See, we need, it'd be good for us to think about knowing where, when, and how we are tempted. It's critical that we decide ahead of time that we will trust in God's timing and his providing. And it's so great for us to know that no matter how strong the cravings and the desires are within us, if we meet those desires alone, apart from God, we're not living life. Life is found in him. And you know what? There are times when we mess up. There are times when you will, you'll be tempted and you will fall into sin, you will stumble. I'll do the same thing. But what do we do then? What happens then? Grace. We fall on God's grace that's shown to us in Jesus Christ for what he did. You see, with all of our hearts, with all of our hearts, we do want to resist temptation, to not give in. But when we do, God says something else, or Jesus says something else about bread. The night before Jesus was crucified, he took bread. He held it in his hands and he broke it. And he said, this is my body for you. My body, my sacrifice, my death will cover all the times when you give in. It's covered. It's paid for. (laughs) Jesus took a cup and held it in his hands and he said, this is my blood that is just shed out, poured out for the forgiveness of sin any time you give in, it's covered. It's covered that sin is paid for in full. You are forgiven. Now walk again and follow me. Walk again and follow me. You see, friends, we we enter this fight from a place of victory already because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? that we don't fight this temptation, resist temptation from a place of defeat, but from a place of victory already because we know who's won. And so, why don't we join together now and let's sing these words about God's grace as a confession. And what I mean by that is we confess right now this is true. This is true about us. This is true about God. This is true about Jesus Christ. This is our reality that we live in right now. Let's stand together, right, and let's sing. applause right now. Can we just worship and praise Jesus for what he has done for us? Through our applause, can we do that? So leave here this morning knowing that you are ransomed. You have been redeemed. You have been saved. You have been rescued. Satan has no power over you, control over you, although he will try and tempt you. But you enter that fight from a place of victory. The battle has already been won. Satan knows he's defeated. This is just the fight we find ourselves in. But we always know that we have a gracious and loving God who will forgive us and cleanse us and make us righteous. That is wonderful. That's empowering. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance, his glory upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. See you next week. Our prayer partners will be up at the front. would love to pray with you. Go with God. Partner with us by giving to what God is doing in and through Center Street Church. Click on Give to learn more. If you are in the Calgary and area region, we invite you to visit one of our five campuses next weekend. Click on Find a Campus Near Me and come say hello. We look forward to meeting you and helping you find a place to belong, grow, and learn about God.